let me, let me give you a recap. If you weren't here Tuesday night, you missed it. And, um, and it was amazing. The Lord has just been doing some stuff. We've been talking about the month of September for a long time. And Matt texted me Wednesday morning and confirmed exactly what I was feeling. Where is Matt? There he is. Um, confirmed exactly what I was feeling, which is this is, this is what the Lord sent us to September for. And, um, and so let me, let me just give you a quick recap. I went back and forth on whether or not I wanted to do this, but I think I'm going to. And, um, and then we're just going to go right into Luke 10. So a um, couple of things. Number one, the Lord has just really... My home lately has been in three places. It's been um, with, other than the Lord, but it's been with Jason Upton Worship, which is that last song we did. It's been with anything Eugene Peterson, anything Eugene, and then anything Damon Thompson. Those three people have been just home for me lately. The reason is, is because uh, Eugene Peterson particularly is probably the primary one. Um, he translated the message. doesn't matter what you think about the message. Um, I don't personally read it a ton. But him as a pastor was one of the most well-known pastors of his time and um, was also the most hidden pastor of his time. Like, hated the spotlight. Hated, you know, wasn't a big social media guy. Wasn't a big, like, and um, he lived in Montana and went to a church of about 30 or 40 people and led Sunday school class there while he sold 22 million books. And, and just reading, um, particularly he has a, a book out called Letters to a Young Pastor. And I have, I, I kid you, wept and wept and wept to the point where I've started. He wrote them to his son who was a young pastor. I've started replacing the son's name with my name as if he was writing them to me because it was just, it's just, I mean, Lord, I can't even tell you how amazing it is. And um, just really sticking with that one thing kind of mentality. So anyway, so I've, I've been... Uh, in a very significant encounter with the Lord. And part of that is I felt there, there was some stuff, and I, I'm not going to go through the whole thing Tuesday because I really want to get to what I'm talking about today, but there was some stuff that, that we as a family had started allowing to kind of creep in that, uh, we, it, that is not going to creep in in this place. And it's things like, and I talked about Tuesday, like gossip, talking behind people's back. Like, we are, we are not, we're going to have the guts to talk to people to their face or we're going to forget about it. You know what I'm saying? So, like, so that's, that's number one. We're not going to do that. Um, and if I get wind of it, you, you don't even understand. You talk about the wrath of God. Like, I'm going to show you what the other side of the wrath of God, and no, I'm just kidding. But, um, I mean, but we're just, we're not going to do that, okay? Um, we are, this is a big announcement for a lot of people. Um, we're not going to do live stream after this week. Um, we're, for people, I know there's people that are still staying home because of COVID, and I know there's people that are outside of Columbia that find a lot of life in this. And so we're going to have a private, password-protected live stream for those of you. But for anybody in Columbia that isn't having a COVID issue, you're not getting that password. You're either here or you're not. And if you're not here, we love you, praise the Lord, but like we got kingdom stuff to do. And live stream has become a crutch. You know what I mean? Like you will wake up in the morning, man, I'm just not sure if I'm feeling it today. Then don't come. <laughs> okay. Um, but I'm, tell, I'm telling you, y'all, y'all know, if y'all been here for a while, you're like, this is Josh. This is Josh right here. He's back. Um, I talked a little bit about uh, soil um, 
Tuesday, in Luke 8, um, the four different types of soil. But there, there's some, some weeds that we've allowed to grow up in the soil. There's some rocks that we've allowed to stay in the soil. And because of that, some of you, if you're not careful, some of you, the Lord has started growing things in you. And if you're not careful because you didn't take care of the things that the Lord designed you to take care of, it's going to choke out any of the good stuff that he's doing in your life right now. What are some of those things? Let me, let me help you out. Like, if pornography is still an issue for you, you need to get with a father, me, and we need to deal with it. it if, if tithing is still an issue for you, you need to get with a father, and we need to deal with it. Whatever the weed is, whatever that is, we, we're, we're going to start uprooting some of this stuff because we, we're going places. And the places we're going is called no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has comprehended what the Lord has planned for those who love him. That's where we're going. In fact, if we can see it correctly, that's where we are. But, but that's the type of stuff. Like, there is there's issues in our soil. Good soil provides two things. It provides a space for good things to grow, and it provides protected for the bad things to not grow. You know what I'm saying? And so this is, this is what we're going to be. Like, to, listen, I know to, for some of you, Tuesday nights, like my wife, we have a daughter that goes to sleep the minute we start Tuesday nights. So I know Tuesday nights are inconvenient for some of you. For others, Tuesday nights are not inconvenient. And I, I told this Tuesday night with a lot of different language I'm not going to use today. But if I show up to something and you show up to something, our time is valuable. I don't just leave my wife and daughter at home for nothing. You know what I mean? So if I'm coming to something on a Tuesday night, it's because there is kingdom stuff to be done. There is a purpose for it. And we're not going to treat Tuesday nights like it's just another thing anymore. And as a pastor, I'm, I'm, called, to, I'm called to do two things. I'm called to burn hotter than anybody in this room, and I'm called to make sure that everything I'm burning with transfers to you. Two things. That's what I'm called to do. I'm not called to chase people that haven't been here in a month, so I won't. I'm not called to encourage you to, to be happy. I'll, I'll help you be happy, but it's going to be called secret place. You know what I'm saying? But, like, I, but I know that's what pastors have gotten into, and that's not me. That's not me. I am your apostolic father. That's who I am. I'm not, I'm not your boy. I'm not your, your buddy, okay? I, I'm all your friends, but I'm a father. That's what the Lord, and I know I'm 30. I know I'm 30. But like this, this is what the Lord has placed us here for. And if we're friends, then we're gonna just like, you know, have fun and we're gonna do this thing and we're gonna have a blast. But, if, but if, if there's a spiritual father or fathers in the room, then all of a sudden what begins to happen is, is they bring sons and daughters into a place that they didn't even know they could go without somebody who is there ahead saying, this is where we're going. That's what the rabbi, I shared this with some of you guys this week. The rabbis back in the day um, had people that followed them. And uh, very similar when Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Very similar to this idea. But when, these, when their disciples would follow these rabbis, um, one of the things that was really unique was that they never asked the rabbi where or why they were going somewhere. 
They never asked where they were going, and they never asked why they were going there. And the reason was, was because there was a trust that this father is going to lead me into something good. So I don't need to ask. I need to walk by faith and not by sight. And that was, that was the, the thinking. So when Jesus comes onto the scene as the rabbi, as the shepherd, you start to see this faith and trust talk coming into the picture because now we're following him and we don't have to know what's coming up. We shouldn't know what's coming up or else we would royally ruin it. But we all of a sudden start walking in step with a shepherd, with a rabbi who is leading us into things that we've never ever dreamed we could go into because we're in a lifestyle of trust. What my job is, is to be a type and shadow of the one leading us to you. When you look at me, there should be so much integrity in me. There should be so much authenticity in me that when you look at me, you can say, where he's going is where the Lord's going, so we're going to follow. You know what I'm saying? Not follow me, but imitate me as I imitate Christ. Y'all know what I'm saying? So, um, so we're not, I'm, I've already, I'm done with social media. Do you know what, I said this Tuesday night, do you know what the word media means? Medium as in something between you and somebody else. And so our culture lives in a social medium, and then we complain because we don't have a clue what community is like. You know what I'm saying? If you spent the four hours you spend on social media sitting at a coffee with somebody else, you never complain about not knowing what community is. You know what I'm saying? And so I'm not on social, you can't find me on social media anymore. Um, except our, I, my Facebook profile, I guess, is still up there because the, the church one would delete if it deleted mine. But even with our church social media, unless it's an announcement, I told Julie this this week, unless it's an announcement, we're not going to sit around worrying about creating great content. I don't care. I don't care if anybody likes our content. I don't even care about creating content. What are we talking about? You know what I'm saying? Like we've traded discipleship for posting great posts on social media and seeing how many likes we can get. We're not doing that. So we're going to lead the way in this. This is a community. This is a family. And I get the COVID thing. I know we've been doing this for a year. I, I get it. I get it. But if I'm being real honest with y'all, I'm about done with it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I, I know I'm speaking as a 30-year-old who's had COVID and was fine. I know that. I totally get it. I know people are suffering. But I'm saying, like, at some point, at some point, COVID is not an excuse anymore. You know what I mean? It, it, for some people, it is a legitimate concern, and we I honor that. For my family. My family at home, it is a legitimate concern with autoimmune disease. I get that. Um, but for those of us that that's not a concern for, it, it's time for us to wake up and get back to reality. Amen. So this is where we are. One more thing I want to add to this that I didn't mention Tuesday night. I, I felt like just this week, um, as the Lord was kind of pulling back some of the, the curtains, um, I just felt led to do this. So I'm going to start writing letters to you guys randomly, just whenever I feel it. And uh, they're just going to be vulnerable. They're going to be just like what I'm processing. If you don't like how I'm processing stuff, don't read them. They're not to you. But, um, but you know what I'm saying? But I, it's just like I felt like that was a great way for me to just consistently um, kind of give you guys insight into what the Lord's doing. So there's one up already. I just didn't tell you about it. Um, but if you go on our um, app or website or whatever, then you can... Um, find those. So under the writings thing. Um, so I'm just going to do that periodically. If you want to read them, great. If not, it's whatever. So, um, okay. Awesome. Everybody good? Good. Because I'm telling you, I, I, I don't, let me just, like, as for me, and my, I don't care about us having the biggest church in Columbia. 
In fact, I'm going to fight to make sure we don't have the biggest church in Columbia. I don't care about that. I could care less. I could care less if five people are in here. Because I promise you, those five people are going to be burning. And when I say burning, I don't mean turn or burn like hell burn. That's all I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you come in this room, the Lord, if you, I don't, did you feel it this morning? Maybe I was the only one. But Abba is, is in the room, and he's giving us a new wine because we went through the season of the wineskin becoming new. And I'm going to give you some insight into this. But he's giving us new wine, and in that, what's going to start to happen, we all want new wine. But what we don't realize is, is when he pours out new wine and we start watching wineskins burst, that is a secondary consequence of getting new wine. So we need to be cautious. And I'm praying, Lord, pour out new wine because at least we'll know which ones are the real ones. You know what I'm saying? But this is where the Lord is pouring this out. And as he pours it, do not be surprised if you start seeing a handful of wineskins burst. And what that does is doesn't mean we throw them to the side. It means now that we know who you really are, now that we've gotten to the root of it, come on in and let's take you through the process of becoming new too. You know what I'm saying? So anyway, all right, let me get to today. As I've talked about many times this summer and really the past year, uh, this has been the most significant uh, sifting the Lord has ever taken me through this summer. The most significant sifting. Though I knew all along the Lord had a purpose in it, and that's the magnitude, or excuse me, that the magnitude of the sifting spoke volumes about what was to come. There were moments, and I share this with a lot of you guys, that I felt so empty in the best way, not about in a, in a great way, that I questioned who I even was. I was, at some points in this summer, to myself, unrecognizable. There were some moments that I looked at myself and I was like, in the best way, not in a bad way, I don't, I don't know if I know who I am right now. In, a, in, a, in such a formlessness that it made way for him to say, let there be. The earth was void and formless before one word was spoken. So I found myself subtly, subtly caring about things that I never used to care about. And I'm going to just be vulnerable for a minute. In essence, I started acting like, even if it's 1%, and operating like a typical American pastor. But in that, I got a taste of what this house would look like in the very system that we so harshly rebuke. Why? Because sometimes the greatest way to have antibodies against a virus is to get the virus and recover to help first. That's a lie. Just kidding. But something significant has happened over the past two weeks since the beginning of September. For months, the Lord has prophesied that September and a new season would bring with it an important shift in all of us. We've been looking to this month for a long time, and I had no clarity, no clarity on what it would bring. I just knew we were being prepared for something. But what has happened in me is the Lord has exposed, this is just me, maybe this is happening to you too, has exposed for months me to a light that has been so bright that it deeply revealed any shred of darkness still left in the corners of who I was. 
This is what's happened for months. That he has, every morning in the secret place, exposed me to such a light that any shred of a darkness in any corner of who I was was brought out to the open. And no matter how much I wanted to get out early, I knew that as a father and as an apostolic voice for your life, I needed to be the first fruits of what it looks like to let him fully finish the job. But on Tuesday of this week, I entered into an encounter with the Lord that has only intensified since, as you probably just experienced. An encounter deeper than anything I've ever accessed before. A renewed or refined calling to guard in you and me, in you and me, right here, the one thing at all cost. This is what he's done. He's brought me back to a place of refined calling, which is to guard in you, in me, and in this place, the one thing at all costs. What one thing? Like I said earlier, to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, gaze upon the beauty of his face, and seek him in his temple. Both us and his temple as in creation. I'm not called to be an influencer to be an evangelical pastor of a large congregation or a great organizational leader. I'm not. I am not called to spend my days operating a church organization. I am called, though, to be your father, your spiritual apostolic father, and to protect the one thing. This church is called to be a home to a remnant who come not for the latest movement of relevant momentum, but to follow a shepherd or a rabbi in trust to the place where we all together find what it means to be fearfully and wonderfully made. On August 31st, I share this Tuesday night, but on August 31st, 1997, I want you to hear this, Princess Diana died, okay? August 31st, 1997. September 5th, 1997, five days later, Mother Teresa of Calcutta died. They died virtually at the same time, five days apart. Everyone wanted to be Diana. The fame, the royalty, the notoriety, etc., is a drug that everybody's addicted to that kills everybody quickly. The problem was, only one person could actually be Princess Diana, Princess Diana. There was only one Prince Charles to marry, and she had married him. It was literally impossible to be Diana, because Diana was Diana, and there was only one. But Mother Teresa, on the other hand, was just a saint. Anybody could be what she was. Yet, no one wanted that. Because in order to be what she was, though available to all, you must do what no one else is willing to do, die to self with all of its selfish ambitions. To be Diana, though theoretically impossible, enticed everyone because the only thing that has to die to be what she was is the real you that hides behind the mask anyway. 
Everyone wanted to be Diana because Diana was the place where the fantasy you could become reality. No one wanted to be Teresa because in order to be Mother Teresa, the real you had to become reality. Most today don't want to be like Christ. They want to be like Caiaphas. Caiaphas was religious, worldly, culturally relevant, rich, influential, and it was all in the name of God. He was the high priest. He was the high priest that organized the plot to kill Jesus, and Caiaphas presided over the Sanhedrin trial of Jesus, which is in John 11, in response to Lazarus being raised. And the parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16 is a reaction to Caiaphas, his father-in-law Annas, and the five brothers-in-law that had this, this agenda to kill Jesus in the name of God. Which is really funny, because most people see the rich man and Lazarus as something talking about heaven and hell. It is not. But, neither here nor there. Typically, typically, we want all the stuff that our flesh desires but we want it in the name of God. By doing that, we end up denying or killing who we really are, which is the Jesus within for who we think we want to be. And what we don't realize is, is apart from an apostolic culture like this, where you have a father or fathers and mothers that will not let you settle, is that by doing this, as much as we can label it in the name of the Lord, we are killing the part of us that is, yes, counterculture, but everything we are made to be. That Jesus part is the one that our lives live for one thing, communion. That part makes every decision through communion. Communion is not a compartment of a peace or a priority. It is the only thing that everything else finds itself within. Y'all with me? Okay. You know, like, like Jesus is my number one. No, he ain't. He's your only one. And if he's your number one in a list of ten, he's not even your only one. You know what's funny is, is here we go. See, I feel this edge, and when we don't have live stream, I can just do this and don't care. But... And we can edit it out later or not even share the live stream. It doesn't matter. But um, you know the thing that's interesting in America is that we have a lot of people who will use that language, you know, God is my number one, God is my number one, God is my number one. And they won't show up to church. They won't show up to anything. They won't pray. They won't read their Bible. But God's their number one. No, 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 no. He might be number 50, but let's be real. Let's be real. See, our lives, and I wrote this in this letter if you want to go back and read it. Our lives are made to be about one thing. It, it, is, it is physically, mentally, emotionally impossible for us to compartmentalize. We use this language, but, but we, in our brains, we cannot compartmentalize our lives, no matter how much we think we can. I love my wife. My wife is not my number two behind God. My wife gets the fruit of God being the only one. That's different. I love my wife because I'm in love with him. 
I love you guys because I'm in love with him. It's not I love him on Sunday mornings and whenever we spend time, and then I love you guys when we're together, and I love my wife when we're together. No, it's I love him, therefore I love you with the same love I love him with and the same love that he loves me with. I can see my enemies and I can love my enemies because it's not just a compartment here and my enemies are in compartment here. It's that he is the totality of everything that I am. Therefore, I see even my enemies through my love with him. And he says, love your enemies. He, on a cross, died and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know to his enemies. Why? Because it wasn't just God was his number one. It was that he was consumed with a lifestyle of intimacy that every single person he looked at, he saw through the lens of intimacy. Do you see this? And so we have an entire culture who has excused apathy to the Lord by using compartment language. God is my number one. No, if God is not your only one, he's not on the, le- he's not on the list. God doesn't belong on a list. He refuses to be on your list unless there's one place on the list. But for that part of us to become the defining, identifying part of us, we must first experience a long, slow, and total death to the fallen part of us with its mask of being in the name of God until our default without even striving is just one thing. Caiaphas, if you don't know who it is, Caiaphas was the high priest, okay? So he was the protector of the law. Jesus comes onto the scene as the law. And Caiaphas, in the name of the law, in the name of God, wants Jesus dead. Because Jesus, the word, Jesus, doesn't fit what they think about the law. Right? So a, lot, so a lot of us, let me say it like this. A lot of us are killing ideas about Jesus because they don't fit how we grew up or they don't fit how we think or they don't fit our tradition. And what we might be doing is we might be killing the very thing we were made for in the name of something we were never made for that we've just misconstrued our whole lives. Whew. All right. So here we are, we made it to September, but for what? Not for something new, for something original. He brought us here to retrieve a purified and refined original longing, one thing. I am me again, but not the same me. A me that's full of light, that if I can dare say, there is no trace of darkness or obscurity in. Darkness is not sin. Darkness is not sin. Darkness is a result of sin. And sin is not what you do. Sin is you not knowing who you are. Hamartea, sin, I'm going to break this down. Hamartea, I've done this thousands of times, but just to review. Ha is without. Meros, the other part of that compound word, is portion. Without portion or without form. So for you to be in sin is for you to be without form. For you to be without form is for you to be without identity. But God didn't take your identity. You've always had your identity. Therefore, for you to be without identity is for you to be without a mind that has the right identity in mind. Y'all good? 
It was very different than how we thought, we thought sin was it. No, all that stuff is a result. You, you looking at stuff you shouldn't look at is not the sin. You not knowing who you are that settles for looking, stuff that you, looking at stuff that you shouldn't look at, that's the sin. Is you not knowing who you are that produces stuff that you weren't made for. If you hold yourself at the value of a son or daughter of God, you will not settle for that crap. Sorry, Jordan, for saying that because I know Veda's watching this. Um, but you know what I'm saying? You won't, you won't settle for that. If you know who you are, the only thing you'll settle for is something that lines up with the one thing. So you're not going to slide into these relationships like we've seen over and over and over again where somebody will start dating somebody and all of a sudden they'll stop showing up at church. All of a sudden they stop believing in God and all of a sudden they're moving away to somewhere that they can hike all day long and fix their mask. Right? <laughs> and, and the reason is, is because they saw their relationship through something that was not the one thing and typically the root of that was probably Jesus is my number one. there is, let's say, no trace of darkness or obscurity in this. Dream is not a new dream, but a refined original dream. Now the call for us here is to never go back again. It's to protect the original thing and the health of it at all costs. My, My job here is to protect the health of the one thing at all costs, which means when the voices come in that try to make this some trendy momentum thing or when the voices come in that try to bring some Jezebel junk into this or whatever the case may be, when that happens, my job as a, as a shepherd, my job as a father is to make sure that the health of this is protected at all costs, right? He trims and prunes the branches that are bearing fruit, We, we, we're, we're at a place where we're going to honor, we're going to honor and let him, by way of the Holy Spirit and trust, lead us into green pastures. Let's, uh, let's go to Luke 10, 38 through 42. Just going to read four verses. Um, and that's probably not a true statement, but that's all I got planned. So um, Luke 10 the back half of it. Now, if, you were, if you've been here for a couple of years, then this is our bread and butter right here. But if you haven't, um, this might be something new. So that's good. Either way, Luke 10, last part of it. Hopefully y'all are there now. I'm going to read this in two translations. I'm going to read it in the NIV, then I'm going to read it in the, in the uh, Passion. So just to give us some, some taste. Verse 38, Luke 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha, wait till you see some of the Greek here. It's unreal. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus, him, And asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, that one thing, and it will not be taken from her. Now, Passion Translation. Same set of verses. 
It says, as Jesus and his disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha. She had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing, absorbing excuse me, every revelation that he shared. But Martha became exasperated by finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guest. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. The Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you upset and troubled, pulled away by all these many distractions? Are they really that important? Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted, and I will not take this privilege from her. And then if you keep reading, Jesus starts teaching about prayer. But we're going to stop right there. We're going to stop right there, okay? Martha, the name Martha means bitter. Okay? Y'all good? All right, some of y'all need to grab some coffee. I don't want you to fall asleep on me. Martha means bitter. Mary means beloved. Mary could also mean bitter. It's really interesting. Okay, I'm going to try my best to explain this. So Martha means bitter. Mary, probably coming from the Hebrew Miriam, Mary means beloved, but the other meaning behind the name Mary is bitter, beloved, or it could mean bitter. Mary represents Martha's identity being redeemed to beloved by the one thing. Okay? Mary could mean bitter, which is what Martha means, but it also means beloved. It's a combination of bitter and beloved. Martha simply means bitter. Mary represents the one who, by way of the one thing, has taken a bitterness, a bitter identity, and been transformed into something beloved. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, glued to what he said. She had no concern for the works of making the house look presentable or giving something good to the Lord. She had no concern. Her only concern was sitting at Jesus' feet and being glued to everything that he said, all she cared about. Martha, on the other hand, was working her tail off to give something good or worthy to Jesus. I really, 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 really am going to try my best, but I need y'all to be locked in. All right, Mary, Mary is okay presenting nothing to Jesus but sitting at his feet receiving. Martha is not okay sitting at Jesus' feet receiving. Her worth is found in what she can give to him. Okay? So Mary is finding worth in this moment by receiving. Martha is finding worth, or she thinks she's finding worth, in this moment by doing. Okay? Martha missed what Jesus wanted to give her because she believed the false narrative of religion that was rampant in this day. She believed the false narrative that God shows up to get our best. 
Martha believed that if God was coming to her house, he was coming there to receive something good from her. Because that's what religion teaches us. Religion teaches us that the reason the Lord shows up is to get our best. Religion does not teach us that the reason the Lord shows up is to give us his best. Because remember, Mary's name means bitter too. So they're both coming at Jesus with the same frame of mind. Only one of those has the guts to lay down the natural tendency to give long enough to receive. In doing this, okay, she was convinced, Martha, convinced that she had to give the works of her hands to Jesus to be healed of her bitterness. She was convinced of it. But in doing that, in doing her best, even in the name of God, she was tr- working hard to give Jesus something great. She wasn't doing anything bad. She was busting her tail to make sure that Jesus came into a house that was very put together, that looked great, where he received a great meal. She was doing all of it in the name of honoring God, right? But in doing all of this, even if it was in the name of God, she missed what was reality, which was simply receiving. Jesus did not show up to that house to get a good meal. Jesus showed up to that house to give them something that a meal could never receive. She missed the one thing that mattered for a thousand things that didn't matter, but she had convinced herself did matter. One more time. One more time. She missed the one thing that actually mattered for a thousand things that didn't matter, but she had convinced herself actually did matter. Let me break down some Greek. In verse 40, the word distracted in the NIV. So uh, let, me, let me see. Verse 40, it says, um, Martha was distracted by all her preparations that she had to make. Make the word distracted is perispio, perispio, and it means greatly troubled, or the other translation could be too busy. So, but Martha was too busy with all the preparations that had to be made. Okay? That's what I mean. So Martha's response to Mary is how religion has acted and why everyone is working harder than ever while losing reality at an astounding rate right now. Right now, during the pandemic, do you know what pastors have done? Busted their ever-loving tail to hold it together. Yeah, I mean, you know what I mean? Especially if you're around pastors a lot or if you come from an area where there's a lot of pastors. Like, what pastors have done during this season, the Lord shut the whole thing down. And when he did, we should have said, well, praise God, I can rest. But we didn't trust God more than we trusted a fly, right? And the way I know that is because the minute everything shut down, do you know what we started doing? Social media. 
And we started calling, and we started doing, and we started preparing, and we started live streaming, and we started, and we, us too, we started doing all this stuff. And it's like, maybe we should have sat back and said, if the Lord is shutting everything down, maybe he wants to give us a little bit of rest. Maybe he wants us to get back to the place where we trust more than this much to say that even if we have to close the doors for a year, we're still going to make it. You know what I'm saying? It's one thing to stand on a stage, and, which is why I'm not on a stage. It's one thing to stand on a stage and say, we just need to trust. We trust in the Lord. We need to have faith. And then the pandemic happens, and we act like we're going to lose our houses tomorrow if we don't produce. If, if God sent us here, I'm not saying he sent the pandemic, but if God shut everything down, you better believe God has a plan to make sure things are taken care of. Or... If it doesn't survive this, maybe it wasn't supposed to survive. Let me say all this. If, if, the, um, if the pandemic caused... Yeah, I feel okay with this. If the pandemic caused a church that had a spirit of a Pharisee to close, praise God. I'm just kidding. Anyway, but you know what I'm saying? But, but, but so there's that, and that should be a testament on its own. But for those of us that are, that are in this for the right thing, this should have been a season where we sat back and said, praise God, let's breathe, let's figure this thing out, and let's get back to the secret place. And do you know what we did? We strived and strived and strived and kicked and screamed and posted and all this stuff. And then we looked at the ones who weren't doing all that stuff, but were seeing a lot of fruit. And we said, my Lord, are you not going to tell them to do this too? She completely, completely missed what Mary was inheriting that she could have inherited as well. Because she was so distracted trying to give the Lord something. He doesn't want what we got to give. He wants us to sit still long enough to receive who we really are. Which is not bitter, it's beloved. So, this, this is why religion. Today, we have more churches than ever in history. In fact, walk outside today and before you get to your car, I want you to count how many churches you can see. Four. You know what I'm saying? I think. Yeah, Four. And if you include us, five. And that's just within eyesight right here. You, you know what I'm saying? It's, so we have churches at an astounding rate, and yet Christianity is doing this. How is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. It's because the Lord did not call us to start a million churches so that we could be great Chick-fil-A model people with crosses on the wall. He called us to be sons and daughters that are so burning that there's a unity that comes out of us that it doesn't matter what you see about this or what you think about this or how you think this theologically, that we come together and we so burn that it begins to create a kingdom in Columbia, South Carolina, where we do not need Congress to pass laws to do what we are in completely incapable of doing on our own. I said this Tuesday night, but we che- like praise God. And listen, I'm happy about the Texas law. Amazing, amazing um, that you know there won't be abortions in Texas. And, and let's all be real. Um, but that's amazing. But I sat back and I saw Christians um, being like, 
praise God, it's amazing. And then I saw other people being like, this is the worst. All this stuff is going back and forth. And I had the thought, it is a sad day when we have become so ineffective at the church, as the church, that we have to rely on Congress to do what we can't do. Right? Because we should be so... uh, Isaiah says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. We should be so growing the kingdom in our... And I'm not talking about by working either. I'm talking about by being a city set on a hill that no one can hide. I'm talking about burning so bright that every single person you come in contact with stares you in the eye and says, I don't know what's going on with them, but I want what they got. That's what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about us passing out gospel tracts and doing 500 services a week. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about us being in such rest that we don't know how all these people got here. I don't have a clue how Columbia's changed. I just know I'm burning. That's what I'm talking about. But we, so like what if the church, let's just say in Texas or in South Carolina, what if the church has become such a hub of reminding people who they are that it doesn't matter what law is passed about abortion, abortion is no longer a thing because people are making right decisions and people are becoming who they really are. That's how we're going to change it. We're not going to change racism. We're not going to change abortion. We're not going to change LGBTQ. None of that. We're not going to change any of that by Congress. None of it. We're only going to change that by way of the heart. And the only people who have the authority to change the heart are those who are in apostolic government by way of the Lord in the kingdom that can speak to somebody's heart and say, I know who you are. The culture does not know who they are, and they sure don't know who everybody else is. But we do. I was, I was talking to somebody yesterday who's an, who an atheist. Went to a Christian school and then became an atheist after he left seminary. Um, I, I told him, I said, I don't blame you. I probably would too. But, um, but anyway, you know, uh, I didn't go to seminary, which is why I'm, I still got my guts. But anyway, and um, so I was talking to him, and, and hearing this guy talk, he was actually in love with the Lord. He just didn't believe the version of the Lord that seminary gave him. And I said, I'm about to tell you some real good news. The God you don't believe in doesn't exist. The one that you do believe in, that they told you did not exist, is actually who he is. I mean, you could just see, light just start to come back in. And it's, well, man, I just, I, just, I just don't know if it's right for God to treat people like that. He don't. He does not. What are you talking about? That's what they said. I don't care what they said. You know what I'm saying? That's not who he is. And, but it, it's a, it's a, that, I, think, I think atheists... And agnostics and people who run from church have maybe become my favorite people to talk to lately because they don't got a religious bone in their body. So I can sit down and talk, man, you know, like the Lord, the Lord is passionately in love with you. Yeah, that fits. You know what I mean? It's not like, well, you, you, what, what about penal substitutionary atonement? Uh, you know, who cares? Dear God, like, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> my Lord, like, you know, what about Jesus coming to, uh, so God could beat the snot out of him so he wouldn't beat it out of us? That's not even in the Bible. So, <laughs> oh, see, some, right there, right there, some of y'all. I felt it. Like, well, what are you talking about? No, Jesus, did not, Jesus didn't need to take a beating from God. In fact, if I could prove to you by way of Paul in the New Testament that God, the totality of the Godhead, dwelled in Christ bodily. So if God was beating the snot out of Jesus, he was beating the snot out of himself because he too was in Jesus. 
What if Jesus came to the cross not to die at the hands of God, but to die at the hands of the depth of our darkness so that while he's on a cross, he can say, you gave me all your darkness, but it's finished. Fits a lot better for me, right? But, right? But we've, we've so bogged ourselves down in these ideas in the South, in America, about God that are not real, that do not exist, that are nothing but tradition that is so poorly theological rooted and so poorly biblically rooted that we don't even know what we're talking about half the time. This is what, if, if anything you believe about God doesn't fit this statement that John makes, God is light, there's not a shred of darkness in him. If any, and, and then second statement, God is love. And those who don't love don't know God because God is love. If anything you believe about God doesn't fit in those two things, it's okay to throw it away. Well, brother, what do you, I mean, you know, brother me all day long, but you know what I'm saying? Like, that's just reality. John writes that, First John, he writes that, and it's not recorded in any gospel. Not one time is it recorded in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John that, God, that Jesus says, God is light, there's not a shred of darkness in him. And yet John says, this is the gospel that we were preached. Where's that? Y'all weren't ready for it then, but you are now. This is what we heard. God is light and there's no shred of darkness in him. How does our view of God, how does our view of this Old Testament God who's angry and mad and all that stuff, how does that fit in that? It doesn't. It does not. So God is the same yesterday, today, forever. Uh, man, I wish I could go into some stuff, but y'all aren't ready for it. So um, one of these days, one of these days, it's really, really interesting. Let me just, let me just help you out a little bit. Lord, I should never say anything. When Jesus comes and he's like arguing with the religious people, um, not arguing, he's telling them what to do, but with the religious people, he makes a statement. This didn't hit me till this morning, and I'm about to really get in trouble. So, uh, you know, I'm sorry, not. But do you know what he says? Now, here's what the law says, according to Moses. The law says that God said you are to love those who love you. Right? Jesus comes, and he's looking at the teachers of the law, and he says, you say, love those who love you. No? You said. Uh, huh? This is what he said. Jesus, Jesus comes to him, he said, you say. And then the next part, he says, Moses said that God said. You say love those who love you, but I tell you love those who don't. <laughs> I'll just let y'all take that one home. Figure it out. Think about it. Think about it. What is he doing? Maybe he's going back and he's tightening up some of the loose screws. I don't know. Maybe. <clears throat> Verse 40. Verse 40. This is the, before I get in too much trouble. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that she had, that had to be made had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care? My sister's left me to do all the work by myself. Tell her to help me. Okay. Let me, I said this Tuesday night, but let me just kind of give a little review for the uh, 90% of you that weren't here. So uh, a virus, a virus is, according to scientists and virologists, um, whatever you say, say that word, um, there's, there's over, and uh, let, me, let me pull this up on my phone. I don't want to misquote this. Um, y'all give me one second, because y'all aren't in a hurry, right? <laughs> Just kidding. 
Uh, I'm not in a hurry. Um, here we go. So there are scientists estimate that there are roughly 10, whatever the number is, 10 with 31 zeros, whatever that number would be, billion, trillion, zillion, million, whatever. Okay, 10 with 31 zeros. Science believe there are roughly that many viruses present at any given moment on earth. Just to put that in context. Put that in context. If it was possible to line these up, the virus would column, or excuse me, the virus column would extend nearly 200 light years into space. There are over 10, listen to this, there are over 10 million times more viruses on earth than there are stars in the entire universe. Now I want you to hear this right here. Because they can't reproduce themselves by themselves without a host, viruses alone are not considered living. Viruses reproduce by infecting a host and host cells and reprogramming them to become virus-making factories. Viruses don't exist. Darkness doesn't exist until a virus finds a host that is willing to join itself with this virus. And when the host joins itself to something it was never designed to join itself to, the virus begins to reprogram the cell so that the cell starts reproducing the virus for it. Martha represents religion. The virus of the works-based mentality has found so many hosts in the church that have joined themselves to something that they were never... Darkness has no ontological existence, right? So in order for darkness to exist, it's got to find a host that's willing to join itself with an obscure mindset. And once that happens, that darkness begins to reprogram how we think until how we think begins to reproduce into other people. And suddenly religion becomes this multi-billion dollar industry that is teaching everybody, unless you do this and do that and do this and do that, and unless you keep your paperwork in order until he comes back and raptures you away or until you die, unless you do all of this stuff, you're done for. And the reason religion teaches that is because that's how they thought you keep people in the door. If they're terrified for their life and they're terrified for their eternity, then the best way for you to keep them in the door is make sure you stoke that fear every time you see them. One problem, God is light and there's not a shred of darkness in him. So what we were called to do was not join ourselves to obscurity. That's what darkness is. The word darkness means obscurity. You can't, it's, it's, un, it's unformed, okay? Chaos. We're not designed to join ourselves. We're designed to so join ourselves to light that there's not a shred of not knowing who we are found in it. Y'all with me? So that's who Martha is trying her best to spread this virus to Mary. You re- check this out. I've, I've been really looking forward to this one. 
the Greek word right here for uh, preparations in the NIV, okay? Martha was distracted. She was too busy by all the preparations. Do you know what the Greek word is? And I'm going to try to pronounce this. It's such a big word. Um, diaknoeo. 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 That's the Greek word. Do you know what that word means? To minister. Martha was too busy with all the ministry that had to be made. That's what the Greek is. Amazing. I could not have planned that better. Literally, literally this could say, my sister has left me, the last part of that, my sister has left me to minister, for me to minister on my own. My sister has left this ministry thing to go sit at your feet, and now I'm over here busting my tail trying to do the ministry for everybody. And Jesus looks at her and says, Martha, you're worried about a lot of stuff that don't matter, but one thing does matter, and that's what Mary's chosen. And can you believe everything in Martha has got to be fuming? Because she's like, Jesus, I like, are you going to tell her to come help me? And Jesus says, no, I'm not going to tell In fact, I'm going to ask you to join her. Uh, right? I mean, she's just got to be fuming. But Martha is so busy serving and ministering that she misses the very reason that Jesus was in the house. Okay? The Greek word for help, to tell her to help me, that Greek word, is to take share in. It's to do what I'm doing. It's to share in my portion. So she's literally telling her. She's saying, Jesus, tell Mary to do what I am doing and stop doing what she is doing. Sound familiar, right? And then in verse 41, when it says, Martha, Martha, you're worried and upset about many things, the word worried is distracted or anxious. That's what the Greek word means, okay? And then in verse 42, the root word, and this is really where I'm going to hang out and finish up, try my best to finish up. The root word for Mary has chosen what is better. That word chosen what is better is only one Greek word. And the word is, you ready for this? Meros. Which means portion or form. Now what did I just teach you? What is sin? Ha without meros. Portion or form. That's sin. Okay? This is what Jesus says. He says, Mary has chosen what is better. What is, what is chosen what is better? Mary now has meros. And that won't be taken from her. Uh, sin in the New Testament, Hamartea. Jesus came to undo. This is what John says. There's the Lamb of God who comes to take away the Hamartea, ha meros, take away the sin of the world. Okay? Jesus came to undo Hamartea, formlessness. Mary, Jesus says, has found form. Okay? Mary's sin, in this moment, Mary's sin by doing the one thing, her formlessness, her delusion, her lost mind, her one thing caused her to transform from a place of sin and bitterness to being undone and regaining her form through an obsession to one thing. How, how did Mary go from sin to redeemed? Sitting at the feet. That's it. 
She didn't say a word. She didn't do anything. She sat and received the form that she came in without. Only for that she came in with, but she didn't know what it was. Jesus came to undo this. How are we going to undo the hamartia, the sin of the world? We're not going to do it by works. We're not going to do it through works-based ministry. That's Martha. We're not going to do it by programs. We're not going to do it by events. We're not going to do it by services. We're not going to do it by live streams. We're going to do it by our obsession to the one thing which recovers our portion, and that one thing is resting at his feet and receiving every single thing that we need there that will not be taken from us. It is easy for us to work, 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 because that's our default. It It takes so much guts and trust for you to stop working, for you to sit, and for you to trust that you're going to receive everything that the work of your hands could never give you. Right? It, it It takes a level of obsession with one thing for you to sit still. That's why they had to be commanded to honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy, to remember the reason they had to be commanded to do that, the reason the Lord set up a Sabbath day was to force them to sit down and receive. And he had to command them to do it because he knew they wouldn't do it. So the one thing undoes all of that. If you're looking for an active and striving ministry, you won't find it here. If you're looking for a mission, a good mission to be a part of, you're probably not going to find it here. If you're looking for a place to fuel your idols by providing you a mask for them, you won't find it here. But if something in your guts says you were made for more and you're willing to submit to a shepherd who will father you into a life of one thing, welcome home. Everything we do is to host him. And we do nothing outside of that. Every single thing we do. When we get together for cookouts, you know the reason why we're getting, when we get together for breakfast, the reason we're getting together for anything is to host him. That's it. That's it. There's no other agenda. When we show up on Sundays, I have one agenda, and it's not to make sure we're funded. It's not to make sure we have a bunch of people in here, and it's not to make sure I preach a great message. I have one agenda, and that's to make sure that every word that comes out of my mouth is fuel for the fire that should be burning on Monday through Saturday in your life. That's it. That's it. I've said it for years, but your Monday morning should make Sunday mornings pale in comparison to what you're encountering on Monday morning. So what I'm here to do is not make your Sundays great. I'm here to make your Mondays great. Thank you. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? That's everything we do. Let me remind you of something I taught on a while, years ago. And it's Proverbs 29, 18. I spent weeks on this, if you remember this. But let me just remind you. When there is no clear prophetic vision... People quickly wander astray. Hello, this past two years. Where there's no clear prophetic vision, that word vision could be seer. So it's either a person or a prophecy. The word really encompasses both. So where there's no seer who is pushing forward the prophetic, where there's no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. But when you follow the revelation of the word, the prophetic, when you follow it, heaven's bliss, the Passion Translation says, fills your soul. When there's no clear prophetic vision, people quickly wander astray. When there is, 
clear prophetic vision, people are quickly brought back to the fold. Remember the word. Let me read this last verse, then i got a picture to show you, and then I'm done. Remember the word from, um, if you want to get ready, from Leviticus to start our fourth year. We're almost at the end of our fourth year, okay? So we're almost four years old. But some of you, if you were here, I want you to, I'm going to read this verse that I read. I felt like it was a prophetic word for us at the beginning of this year. But it's really important going into next year. And it's in Leviticus, of all all books, 19, and uh, this is 23 through 25. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it real fast. I want you to hear this. This is who we are. 19, 23 through 25. When you enter the land and you plant any kind of fruit tree, regard its fruit as forbidden. For three years, the uh, the Hebrew word there is actually uncircumcised, okay? Out of covenant. For three years, you are to consider it, the fruit, forbidden. You must not eat it. You, You are to let it mature. You are to allow it to become circumcised. Allow it to grow in to its covenant, okay? In the fourth year, in the fourth year, all its fruit will be holy and offering of praise to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. In this way, your harvest will increase. I am the Lord, your God. What we have been through is a year where all of our quote-unquote fruit has been dedicated to the Lord. All of it. But do you know what the Lord is sending us into coming up in a few months? In a year where we're going to start to eat the fruit of what we have allowed to mature all these years. And, and well, what is that fruit? That fruit is the fruit of the tree of one thing. What does Jesus say? You'll know a tree by its fruit. So what is our tree? One thing. That means the fruit that we're about to start taking The fruit that we're about to start eating is the fruit of a one-thing encounter that's going to bring us so back to who we were before we ever took a breath that we're going to finally be able to look in a mirror and say, I know who that is. Some some of you you don't struggle with identity that you know of. But I'm telling you, you're you're about to come into some encounters with the Lord that you're going to sit back in your chair and say, this is me. I don't know how. I don't know why. I don't even know what's different, but this is who I am. That's, what, that's what's happened. I, I am literally, I, on, on more, Sunday, during the week, sitting in the dining room of our house in the mornings, nobody else is awake with the Lord and just weeping because I feel like I have finally found who I am. Not that I hadn't found it before, but this is a no shred of darkness, no shred of obscurity found within it type identity. Throw that picture up. So um, this, so in our neighborhood, we live in Lexington. <clears throat> in our neighborhood, there we have this, uh, I guess, forest um, area that has hiking trails throughout. And my parents last summer moved to a neighborhood in Lexington that's about two or three miles from our house. Um, so if you get in a car and you drive from our house to my parents' house, it takes you about you know five minutes or so. <clears throat> but in this uh, forest area behind our house, behind our neighborhood, uh, me and Veda were on a hike one day. I think Jordan was with us too. But we were all on a hike one day through there, and we crossed this creek, and we realized that the creek, only about 
500 yards maybe away from the entrance of our neighborhood uh, where you enter into this area was the entrance to my parents' neighborhood. So, so for the sake of what I'm about to teach you, let's just say my father's house. Okay? So you could get in a car and you could drive the way that man has made to my father's house and it's going to take you about five minutes and it's going to cost you gas and you're going to have to pack up the car and you're going to have to do the whole thing. Right? St- st- stuck in traffic. Or you could go through the woods and it'll take you about five minutes, but it's just a five-minute walk through the woods, right? Now, right there, right there in that picture, there is a path. There's a path in that picture that leads you to my father's house. And none of you can see it, right? But I've been there. So if you come to my neighborhood and I, I put you at the front of this set of woods and I say, I want you to walk to my father's house, you're not going to have a clue how to get there. Right? But if I say, we're going to my father's house, I'll lead the way, we're going to be there in five minutes. Right? This right here, is how important it is that the Lord has set us up to be a place where we follow the shepherd in every single step without asking questions. Because if we go the man-made route, we're going to find ourselves burned out, stuck in traffic, taking a lot of time, doing a lot of stuff that aren't necessary. Or we could follow the shepherd into the unknown place and trust that he knows the exact route to get to the Father's house. That, that, I'm walking back there. This was on, um, I think this was on Thursday because I was home a lot last week because Jordan and Veda were under the weather. Nobody has COVID. We tested multiple times. But, um, but Jordan and Veda, so I had a lot of time to just sit with the Lord, which was so needed. And so Veda was asleep, Jordan was asleep, and I went on, on a walk by myself through those woods. There, a couple things happened. Number one, um, last time me and Veda went through there, there's a creek that runs literally from our house to their house. There's a stream that runs from our house to their house. And as I was walking, me and Veda the other day, the stream had dried up. There was no water because it hadn't rained. And so we were able to just walk through with no problems. But the reason we went out was to play in the stream, and so there was no stream. So anyway, so we went home. So I went walking, and all of a sudden I noticed not only was the stream back, it was deeper than I think I've ever seen it, flowing. And in fact, as I was going through there, I have some other pictures, but I didn't post, put them up here. As I was walking through, there were other streams that were coming from this body of water I had never seen before because the water hadn't been high enough for it to take that track. And so the Lord had literally restored streams. And I felt a prophetic wind in that moment from the Lord that said, there are some, and this is for some of you, so you need to, there are some streams in our lives that we thought had dried up. And they had not. The reason that the Lord has sent us through a season like this was so that as the rain begins to fall and as the streams begin to open up, do you know what? I have an honor for the streams that I never had before it dried up. As I'm walking through there, you know what I was doing by myself? Playing in the stream. Because I was the only one out there. I was kicking around, I was throwing rocks, I was, trying, I was being a kid, you know, the whole thing. And before this, the stream was more of a hassle because we had to skip over it to get to my parents' neighborhood. So as it dried up, 
there was a place within me that began to honor something I wasn't in honor of before. And as the Lord begins to refill it, suddenly we begin to see it for what it is, which is not an obstacle, it's an opportunity to play in it. You know what I'm saying? Some of you, the Lord has removed certain things. For me in this season, it was worship. I hated listening to worship over the past summer. Not because there wasn't any good worship songs. It's just that I've done worship my whole life. And so it was almost like, man, I'm just kind of sick of worship. I want to do something else. And so for the past season, it was tough for me to listen to worship in my car. And do you know what the Lord has restored in me over the past couple of weeks? A longing to be in worship. A desire for that. And it's because as he dries some things up, there is an honor that rises up in our hearts for something that we previously took for granted that when he begins to restore it, suddenly when our newfound honor begins to meet something, not new, but something original, all of a sudden what was designed to come out of that begins to come out of it because it's met with honor. You know what I'm saying? So the one thing we've been doing since day one, this is not a new message. But for some of you, i had conversations with you. It's been tough going in the secret place with the Lord lately. Tough. Like, man, I'm showing up. I'm doing my thing. But it feels like the Lord's not speaking. It feels like the Lord's not doing anything. I pray for people and nothing's happening. I mean, it just feels like the Lord's just kind of like. And as that thing has began to be, we think, dried up. He never left. But as we begin to see that as dried up, suddenly there is a longing that rises up in us. This is how it was for me. There is a longing that says, I want what I used to take for granted. Back in the day, I had access to anything I wanted to in the Lord. And there were some mornings that it was so normal that I'd be like, I'm going to just sleep in. I'll catch it tomorrow. You know what I'm saying? Not that sleeping in is a bad thing, but you know what I mean? But it was just this mentality of like, I've got this. I'll just access it, access it whenever. And now the Lord sent us through a season, especially during COVID, where that thing has kind of been lifted up and all of a sudden there is a longing for it. And now for me, as he has begun to pour out what I used to, same things, nothing new, but as he begins to pour it out, there is a hunger and a thirst for righteousness that I did not have before. And that is causing everything in my guts to become what it was designed to become. So, Matt, you can go ahead and come up here. Here's how, uh, here's how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just wrap this up, try. I always plan these messages and never know how to wrap them up. Maybe I'm not supposed to, but... Um, here's how I want to end this, is that after Tuesday, after today, there, there's something different in this place. There is, there is a, a level of glory that the Lord has called us up to, and the thing that we have to guard is that when we get to a level that we never allow ourselves to settle for the level we were at before. The level we were at before was good in a season, Okay? But once the Lord brings you here, for you to go back to what's comfortable here is for you to now start living in formlessness. You were formed for this. You know what I'm saying? What is this? I don't know. I think we really need to figure that out. For me, what this is, is to make sure, and I know I've said this the whole day on purpose, to make sure that we do everything out of one thing. One thing. That's all we do is one thing. That's what the church was always supposed to do. You know what I mean? The church was never supposed to be this big organization 
that tries its best to market and scheme and promote and push its pastor to be a superstar. I told everybody Tuesday night, I, I am right now in this season doing everything I can to commit influencer suicide. I don't want to be an influencer. I don't want people to know my name. I want people to look at this church and say, who is the pastor of that church? I don't want to know. I don't want people to know me. I don't want people to think my messages are great, and the Lord might do that, and that's amazing. But I'm here to be so hidden in one thing that when I get to the end of my life, people are like, I don't know how he did it, but he stuck with one thing. That's the thing about Eugene Peterson. I told my spiritual father this week, Lee McDermott, I was talking to him, and I said, you know the thing that really scares me sometimes is that every single pastor that you can look at has achieved being an influencer. All of them. Superstars, millions of followers, cool haircuts, million dollar shoes, all the, the whole thing. That's easy. Any, any of you can do that. I could give you a mic and a Bible, a cool translation Bible that looks cool, and I can teach you how to say the right stuff and make sure you stick to a 20-minute message. And you'll be a great but I told him, I said, the thing that scares me is I have never seen somebody be faithful to one thing and actually in their life still faithful to that one thing. Never. And I don't even know if that's possible. I told him, I was weeping. I was like, I don't know if that's possible. I know that's what I'm called to do. I don't even know if that's possible. Until I discovered Eugene Peterson, who did that. And the path he took to that was making sure it never became about him. So that's what I'm, I'm, this will never be about me. And if it is, I want y'all to call me out on it. And I want y'all to do whatever you got to do to, to wake me up. You know what I'm saying? But this ain't about me. This is about him. Y'all pray with me. Lord, um, I know we took 45 rabbits today. But I, I just, I feel this like I haven't felt this since we started. I do. There's, there's just a fire in my bones right now. And, um, and so, Lord, what we're going to do is we're going to protect that at all costs. And we can't lose it. Mary's chosen the one thing that cannot be taken from her. It won't be taken from her. So it's not that we can lose it, but it is absolutely that we can take it for granted. And so the thing that we are going to do is we are going to make sure that we don't ever take this for granted. We're not going to take for granted worship. We're not going to take for granted Tuesday nights. We're not going to take for granted any of it. We're going to be present. We're going to be active. And we're going to actually be a church. We're going to be an ecclesia. We're going to be a governmental body that governs the kingdom into the earth until the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's who we're going to be. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace this week to remain in one thing. I pray that you would give us the grace this week to be about in every single thing that we do, the one thing that we desire. And if we do that, there, there is absolutely nothing that we won't be able to do and nothing we won't see. We're, we're, I'm talking about we're going to see people come into this room with, with no limbs that are going to grow. I'm not talking about one leg is shorter than the other and you do a little, little jig and trick and all of a sudden it's longer. I'm not talking about that. We need to stop that junk. I'm talking about people are going to walk in this room and not have a foot and we're going to pray over them and in Jesus' name we're going to see that thing grow out. We're going to see people come in here that are absolutely blind, that their eyes are going to open up for the first time in their life. And it's because we are going to carry such a measure of the over, 
the overbearing and overshadowing weight of Almighty God that every single thing that our shadow hits is going to be filled with authentic and true identity. That, that's, that's, that is absolutely where we're going. We're not at the place right now where we can speak to pandemics and then turn around. We're not. That's okay. We will be. We will be. And we're not going to stop until we can. But we're going to do it through one thing. So, Lord, I love you. I, I am so thankful for a place where I can be real. You know I would not want to be a pastor at a place I got to be fake. I would not be. I wouldn't be. This is a place we can be real. And in this, we're finding home. So we love you in your name. Amen.